Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, and it did not take long before the Big Ten had its first major issues with COVID-19. I'm here with Jesse Temple, our Wisconsin beat writer, and Jesse, uh, you are dealing with a, a quite an interesting situation here. Graham Mertz, the the hero of Friday's win against Illinois, the the future of the quarterback position at Wisconsin, he's out. He's got a, a positive COVID test confirmed by a PCR test. Our, our Bruce Feldman confirmed that and reported it. And now it looks like other positive tests may jeopardize the the Wisconsin-Nebraska game entirely. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you're right. It didn't take long for this to happen in the Big Ten. And uh, I think it was inevitable just based on what we've seen in, in some of the other conferences with games being canceled or postponed. Um, and Wisconsin has four scholarship quarterbacks. The first one, Jack Cohn, who was going to come into the season as the starter, he suffered a foot injury and underwent surgery about three weeks ago. So he was going to be out indefinitely. You mentioned Graham Mertz, the savior in some people's minds. He's the highest rated quarterback signee that Wisconsin has had in the online ranking era. He was tremendous in the season opener. It was his first career start, 20 for 21, 248 yards, five touchdowns in a route against the Illini. And it, it looked like, man, this guy, he might be one of the great quarterbacks that Wisconsin's had. And, and certainly he's got a long future ahead of him. But less than 48 hours later, uh, as you mentioned, um, he and the program are dealing with this, where, as you said, he's got a second positive test. Now, um, that means he'll be sidelined a minimum of 21 days under the, the Big Ten's protocol, which is more strict than other conferences. Uh, and now they're trying to figure out if there is a game against Nebraska, who else will be available um, and so at, at this point, uh, Chase Wolf's status, another backup is, is uncertain. And, and it very well may be fourth string quarterback, Danny Vandenboom, who would be the only other scholarship quarterback remaining on the roster. He did not play last season. Uh, two seasons ago, he appeared in three games uh, very briefly at the end. So very fluid situation. And it is uh, an incredibly unusual week in Wisconsin's program. So. The, the Big Ten has protocols based on positivity rates within a team that, that help them determine whether a game is going to be played. But they also have protocols based on how many you can dress out of a position group. I mean, all the leagues, we've seen it with various leagues with offensive linemen where you can't, if you can't dress seven offensive linemen, you don't play. And, and you've seen that in the Big 12. You've seen it in the ACC. So we're familiar with that. But could be quarterback room this time. Uh, how does the positivity rate protocol work in the Big Ten, Jesse? Well, in the Big Ten, it's 5% of the tests that have been administered, uh, and I believe it's 7.5%, uh, including the, the coaching staff. So it, as these numbers could put, pile up you know, very quickly, then you've got a situation where a team uh, has to be out of competition or practice for seven days. So if Wisconsin is on the verge of, of that and it gets to that point, then it's very possible that there could be no game against Nebraska. And as we're talking about the Big Ten schedule in general, one of the most interesting things when the league decided to come out with this, this updated schedule, there's no wiggle room here, right? They've got to play eight games in eight weeks, and then in that week nine is the Champions Week where the, the East and West Division champions will play each other for the Big Ten Championship and the other teams will play on down the line. The previous schedule left open the possibility that you had three open weeks. So if something like this happened, which again, seemed inevitable even then, you could make up that game at a later date. But in this situation, if they don't play, it'll be a no contest. Uh, and that's that's kind of where things stand right now. And this is a division game. Wisconsin is obviously a team that 
we would expect to be in the race for the West Division title. Not so sure about Nebraska, but you know, it is going to be interesting because now you get into the tiebreakers and all the other things. If if teams don't play the same number of games, and yeah, it, we knew this was going to be an issue when the Big Ten decided to come back and play and compress it all into this time. Is there any chance they could reconsider and maybe move the championship game a week and try to try to establish some flexibility, or is this this is what it's going to be? I have a hard time believing that's going to happen. I mean, the 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 protocol is already in place that if teams don't play, it's a no contest. And the reason I have a hard time believing it is because if I'm not mistaken, with the Big Ten championship game is played the next day is when the college football playoff committee makes well, they can its- always they can always move to another date. I mean, I, I suppose. I, well, then you're saying, do you bend for one game or do you bend for one league? And again, we're very early in the Big Ten situation, but I suppose there's a possibility that this could come up elsewhere and they decide to push it back. But I, I don't I, at a certain point, I feel like you've, you've got to take a stance. You've got to set some dates. Otherwise, it yeah. could just go on for a while and you're making exceptions for different games and maybe not ones for others. No, I think I'm with you because it, the, the closest I think we've come is the SEC they're in a couple of cases out of open dates because they, they had that week that's between the, the end of the season and the, and the championship game. And they've, they've put Florida LSU there and they've put Missouri and Vandy there. And then they've had to restructure things when Florida couldn't play LSU or Missouri. I think if Florida had another situation like that, then the SEC might be in the same boat as the Big Ten. I think you're right. You're, you probably can't make that happen for one team or one game and just stop everything else. So I guess we're just going to have to get used to this all being really weird. And uh, and so, Jesse, is it just, is just wait and see what happens with Wisconsin over the next few days? I think that's that's all we can do. And, and look, Wisconsin's program is good. It's little information actually coming from the program. Paul Chris talked to reporters on Monday, and he said he wasn't going to talk about any COVID cases. Uh, the program issued a statement on Sunday, uh, and, and it said the same thing, that they don't want to talk about individuals because of privacy rules. And so uh, there was no media availability on Tuesday. There's supposed to be some on Wednesday, but it's possible that might not happen either. Uh, and, and at a certain point, either there's going to be a game or there won't. And uh, I, I imagine we'll have our decision soon because uh, it's coming up. You may already know by the time you're listening to this podcast, but hopefully it didn't happen in the middle of the night and and we couldn't fix things. But uh, Jesse, thank you so much. You got a newborn at home. You're not sleeping anyway. So you you just stay up all night and wait for this news to happen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'll I'll be wide awake whenever it happens since uh, sleep went out the window a while ago. Thank you, Jesse Temple, our Wisconsin beat writer. Appreciate it. We'll be right back with LSU beat writer and very proud at the moment, Indiana alumnus Brody Miller. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Joined now by our LSU beat writer, Brody Miller. But before we start talking about the beat that Brody covers, we got to talk about the school Brody went to because he has not gotten to see a lot of games like Indiana's win against Penn State on Saturday. He's not seen much. As an Indiana grad, 
there have not been a lot of hallmark football victories in Brody Miller's football life as an Indiana alum. But Brody, what was that like watching? And and I, you probably didn't get to watch much of it because you're covering LSU South Carolina. <laughs> but seeing yeah. Penn State let Michael Penix get to the pylon, and and maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but they gave it to him anyway. And just a, a historic win for Indiana, and and you know one that that you could tell by those locker room videos; those guys will remember forever. Yeah, first off, you start with the fact that they had literally not won a top 10 game in my lifetime, which, I mean, in, in the Power Five, it's just almost hard to wrap your head around with almost any program. And then you just, I think the best way to describe IU football is it's, I mean, there's a few fan bases like this across sports. I think Atlanta sports come to mind where the fandom is almost sarcastic. Actually, I can't really think of actually many like this where, and I, like, and Cubs IU fans were like this before they won the World Series. That's a good one. Yeah, I think you're right. Like IU basketball, like people are sincere. It's real. IU football, there's a built-in, like the people who care a lot about IU football, it's almost hipstery for lack of a better term. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, and honestly, I mean, when I was in college, I didn't really care about IU basketball. I only cared about IU football because it was kind of funnier and you feel like you're part of a weird club. And you know, I mean, I know Kansas is taking the title now, but IU football is probably the worst power five historical program, right? Or at least was until maybe this past decade. And, you, I mean, you get, to, you get to cling to the the Antoine Randall and Pete story. Even those teams were bad. You know what I mean? Like those teams yeah, didn't win. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. It's just kind of a, a surreal experience. And this Tom Allen era, and even the end of the Kevin Wilson era, where they became pretty competent, it was just kind of weird. Because then all of a sudden you're like, well, this was all kind of a joke. And now, like, am I a sincere fan? Like, am I going to get upset after a loss? And I say all that to say, when you're an IU football fan, you're also just. A lot of fan bases are like this too, but you genuinely are prepared for a loss at every single game. And IU had become like the laughing stock team in the sense that every single year they took like three top 25 teams down to the wire and every year they lost. So I was watching that game in the press box and, you know, in the corner of my eye the whole night. And it was just like, yeah, but they're up 27, but they're going to lose, right? It was just a given. It was, and it was almost the most poetic way for them to finally win that game in that they actually did blow it. They gave up the lead. They did what they've done for decades. Well, they, they, they also won it in a way that, exactly. that Indiana normally would have lost it. Like the, the, <laughs> the player accidentally scores a touchdown when he knows he's not supposed to. That should and then have been the other team marches that. Yeah. down the field and, and gets a two point conversion to force overtime. And, and you get the, like, the most, I mean, corny, metaphorical, liter- I mean, cause Tom Allen, I mean, you've talked to Tom Allen. Every interview you ever do with Tom Allen, it's about breaking through, getting over the hump, the matter of inches. It's everything's about one play. And it's the literal most metaphorical. They finally did it with a matter of a, a centimeter, a millimeter. And he might not even have got it, but that's a whole different discussion. The, the, like that is the, the most Pacino, met- perfect ending. Yeah. The Al Pacino, any given Sunday, you fight for that inch speech was like thundering in my head as I'm watching. <laughs> All the replays Al Pacino as they're was trying watching to review that game this in his play. home, just yelling, I told you, I told you guys. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I have a story. Uh, if you are reading The Athletic today, Wednesday, when this podcast comes out, you can read all about Michael Penix Jr., the, the quarterback at Indiana, and uh, how he got there. And he is a, he's a member of the Committed to Tennessee When a Coach Got Fired All Stars, which is a really, really good group, Brody. Of, of quarterbacks like if you can get a quarterback that was committed to Tennessee when Tennessee fires its football coach you're in good shape Ooh, okay um I'm looking forward to that first off and I'm thinking it's almost like I'm trying to think of a good you ready for, for the li- I can give you the list now yeah please do please it. do okay so 
when Philip Fulmer got fired, they had two quarterbacks committed. One was Taj Boyd. <laughs> the second one was Bryce Petty, who went on to break records yeah. and win the Big 12 at Baylor. Jeez. And so when Butch Jones got fired, Michael Penix Jr. was obviously committed. The other commitment they had was Adrian Martinez, current Nebraska starter. <laughs> is, there, still, is there a Lane Kiffin They still Kiffin wanted Adrian. One? Yeah, uh, th- there is. And Lane doesn't count is because not. he left. But Well, Lane, Lane's the one who cut loose Taj Boyd oh. and, and Bryce Petty. So that that that's where Lane fits into this picture. And and Bryce Petty ended up the reason it sounds crazy that, that you mentioned Bryce Petty committed to Philip Fulmer at, at Tennessee. And you're like, wait, that the ages don't match up. Because Petty had to take a gray shirt at Baylor because there was nothing left. Okay. It happened so late there there was no chance for him to get another spot. Taj Boyd was it was a pretty big time recruit. So Oregon and, and Clemson then fought over him and, and Clemson won. But yeah, I mean, so Michael Penix joins that very elite group of quarterbacks that were committed to Tennessee that that found success elsewhere. And I, it just he had a, a pretty bad game up until yeah. the last drive of regulation. And then all of a sudden he turned into Dan Marino. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of it necessarily, because first off, Penn State's a pretty good defense, but still, he was just missing throws. I mean, if you watched him last year, which, I mean, he was a very efficient quarterback, and then all of a sudden you start wondering, obviously, Kalen DeBoer's offense coordinator's off at Fresno State. You know, how much of a difference does that make with, with Sheridan leading the offense now? But I mean, yeah, Penix just did not look comfortable. And sure, he's coming off like two years in a row of season-ending injuries, so maybe that factors in. And I'll judge him a little more against Rutgers when everything's a little more confident and fluid. But yeah, he didn't look very good. But then again, I guess you step up when it matters, so that cancels it all out. But it's like I use finally ranked for the first time in you know a quite a long time, and I, I actually like feel worse about them than I did going into the season, which makes zero sense. It's it's so weird, but now you have expectations. The the crippling weight of expectations, <laughs> which you're used to when you're writing about LSU. You're not used to it when you're thinking about IU. I know um, Nicole Auerbach and I were joking about this the other day because you know I I mean remember when you know Spencer Hall did his Big Ten annoyance rankings and IU was last and IU's like everybody's endearing fan base. And I, we were joking about what would it take for IU to like how quickly can IU go from endearing losers to obnoxious, you know, to like completely insufferable. Yeah, because uh, it's it's a fine line. Win nine games again. Yeah, or or well, it basically the point comes when you start getting angry about a loss instead of like, haha, of course it happened. That's when you start getting annoying. But my I, I have a whole thing in my head that's going to happen this season, and it's going to be I use at home against Michigan in two weeks, right? So they're my theory is they're going to beat Michigan. And all of a sudden, you're 3-0 and with two top 10 wins. And I'm not claiming I use actually a top 10 team, but suddenly they're going to be a top 10 team. And it's going to like have all this like big narrative hype around them, which they shouldn't. And then they're going to get demolished by Wisconsin and Ohio State. And all of a sudden, people are going to be like, IU was overrated, which will be the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life that anyone will ever say that. I have the whole scenario mapped out. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's a good problem to have. And when we get to talking about the BU cover, we're going to talk about a good problem to have because LSU yeah. found out last week it has one extremely good problem to have. But yes, IU being overrated after decades of really not being rated at all, I, I think that's progress. 
It is progress. It's the definition of progress. It also is just the most exhausting part of sports. I remember, like, I always joke about how I'm a Sixers fan, right? And, and, you know, I went through all the trust the process years. And I remember after the 2018 spring playoffs, the first year they made the playoffs, got knocked out. I texted all my buddies and I'm just like, guys, it will just enjoy this because it will never be fun again. This is the last time it'll be fun when you're like overachieving and it's fun. For the rest of it, it will be just anger that you didn't win a title or whatever. And that is, I'm not, IU football is not there yet. I think you're 100% still in the enjoying it phase, but you are maybe one year away from it's not fun anymore. You're angry when it doesn't happen. And that is the painful beauty and frustration about sports. It, it is amazing. And, and so you see this up close. You're, you're covering LSU. You've covered perhaps the greatest season in college football history by one team. Yeah. Uh, maybe the greatest offense in college football history. And now you shift to this team, which is much younger, lots of new pieces. They lose their first game right out of the gate to Mississippi State. Clearly, watching Mississippi State's offense since then, they should not have lost that game. That was a just a badly bungled job by, by Bo Pelini, the new defensive coordinator. They lose to Missouri as well. But last week against South Carolina – starting a, a true freshman backup quarterback in TJ Finley, all of a sudden the offense turns the corner. Now, granted, the offense had been playing well yeah. under Miles Brennan, <laughs> and Miles Brennan has not lost his job or anything, but some of the things that the offense was not doing well, not establishing the run, not blocking particularly well in the run game, not spreading the ball around, not, not you know, all of a sudden that disappeared. And was it, the game plan that Steve Ensbringer put together for Finley, was that why it was it looked so much more efficient? Or was it some of these offensive linemen growing up? Was it the backs kind of figuring out what they their roles are? Yeah, I mean it's a fascinating question. It's something that I think OSU is probably trying to figure out as well, and that everything came together more, right? The O line went from you know, I'd give it probably a slightly negative grade the first three weeks, but you're replacing four or five starters. You have some reasons for that, but they went from okay to playing, facing a pretty good front seven, right? And just demolishing them, like playing like a borderline elite level like they did Saturday. And you're like, okay, like you said, is that a game plan thing? Is that like, hey, you have a mentality of I'm run blocking today, so your mentality is just a little different? That's possible, but it is interesting. And, and I think there's the, – Well, this, yeah, is, this is why I was texting you saying TJ Finley is that dude because <laughs> well, that was the best defense they played so far. Okay, but and here's he made the one thing. Silly. And I know we're going to get into this debate, but and I'm not actually like coming down hard on like anti Finley or pro Brennan necessarily one or the other. Well, you, you don't need but, to. It's, again, it's a good problem to have. Yes, but what makes you think then that you, that Brennan can't also run that really simple scheme even better? You know, I get what you're saying about well, you why might weren't have they? Why something. weren't they doing with that with him all along? Like you, what, why you're throwing four hundred yards a game. Play. I know there was a good defenses, but you throw 400 yards yeah. a game. The offense wasn't like an issue. You had Terrace Marshall demolishing people. And, and also, I think the big thing that I always point out with Brennan is he did look a little shaky week one, and he admits that. But then like he's genuinely gotten better each week to a point where I, now I he, felt like by the middle of the second quarter against Mississippi State, he was fine. Yeah, like, I, it, I, I, I agree. It sort of clicked in at that point, and, and the offense looked very capable after that. I think it's a good, it, like I said, good problem to have, especially this year, because – you could lose a quarterback. Good point. You know, you just don't know. Uh, you know, we're, we've talked about Wisconsin all week and, and that situation. And you just don't know what's going to happen. So to have two guys that you feel very comfortable playing, 
I think is is a blessing this year for LSU. And, and Ed Ogeron but, said it perfectly. You know, someone asked him actually directly, and they, they asked, you know, do you think that having knowing now that Finley is pretty reliable, does that mean that you feel a little more comfortable letting Brennan sit another week? And you know, he didn't say if Brennan's playing or not, but he basically was like, yeah, hundred percent. Like he, he admitted it that that absolutely plays a factor, and that's huge. Yeah, because you need Brennan healthy for Alabama if you believe he's better than Finley, which. I know we can debate that, but if you believe that, you need him healthy for that. So being able to, Auburn looks like a toss-up game right now. If you can actually feel confident with Finley for a week, that's huge. We'll be right back after these words. Well, let's talk about the Auburn game because it's it's very interesting. And I've, I've covered some Auburn this year. You've covered Auburn in the, in the offseason. They are a strange team. But this feels like a turn-the-corner possibility for LSU where they can put all of the pain of the first part of the season behind them. And we we haven't talked about the defense yet. Kind of obscured in how well the offense played was the defense was actually still pretty bad against South Carolina. The only thing they did well was stop South Carolina on third downs and stop them in the red zone. But they still gave up a bunch of yards per play. They still gave up a bunch of explosive. Was it six plays of 30 yards or more? Correct. That 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 will not get it done against most of the teams they've got to play. So, you know... If the defense can get better and they play well against Auburn and the offense is clicking, then suddenly this looks like a team that can play with Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody would have thought that two weeks ago. Yeah. And I, but first off, I don't think either of us are saying we think they can yet. But yeah, I, I think I did, if LSU... I did say play with. I did not say beat. <laughs> okay, exactly. Um, I mean, yes, I think if LSU shows up and if their offense looks as well-rounded as it did Saturday, if the defense can make any steps forward, yeah, I would, I would pick LSU to win this game with a decent amount of confidence. I do feel that way. But this is still, you know, for example, we talk about the explosive plays. South Carolina, the one thing they did going into last week was they moved the ball efficiently, but they got no big plays. Like They were not a big play offense this season, and they still had those big plays we're talking about. And Auburn's actually a similar thing. So if you're giving up those big plays against South Carolina, and yeah, they were, for most of the game, they were allow, uh, allowing nine yards per play and just got bailed out by Colin Hill missing wide open receivers and missed field goals and all these things. Well, I'm not saying Auburn's offense is better because they have not looked very good this year, but... I kind of trust them more just in a talent level point of view. And there's not much optimism that things are getting better. Yes, the pass rush still looks great. Well, it's actually one of the best in the country. But yeah, Ojolari is, is really coming on. That's uh, that's the thing. And that was what also saved them against South Carolina is because Colin Hill is not very mobile. They could they could sack him, get a negative play that would stunt. Even if you had an explosive play, you could you could combat that with a negative play on the next down that yep. would stunt the drive. Yeah, and, and, and all against Auburn, first off, I don't know if you're going to get that. I mean, the one thing you can always say about Auburn is they're going to be on schedule. I just don't know if they're going to really break out much or do make any big plays or anything like that. But Auburn is going to probably be on schedule. And as much as LSU, you know, you want to point on the positives of South Carolina, LSU still, basically they give up big plays in the passing game, but they get worked in the run game and uh, efficiency point of view, which is, you know, the main problem there. So, I, it's tricky because yes, I think, and if you're looking at a matchup that would help LSU in a vacuum, it's an Auburn type matchup that is where they, in theory, should thrive most, right? Well, I think they should. This this is a team that is actually pretty well designed to take a page out of South Carolina's book because if you watch South Carolina Auburn, J.C. Horn followed Seth Williams around the entire game, 
and had an interception, had a couple big deflections. They can put Derek Stingley on Seth Williams yeah. and just say, you're his shadow. And I, I would bet that that makes it very difficult to do what Auburn does best in terms of big plays, which is throw it up in, in, to Seth Williams in a, in a 50-50 ball situation, and he makes it a 90-10 ball. No, you're Stingley absolutely right. doesn't let you do that. Because LSU's problems are actually, you know, T-Bob and I were talking about on the show yesterday that their problems are not actually on the edges of the field, which sounds weird because they're actually giving up most of their big plays on the edges. But you trust both, you know, Elias, you know, Elias Ricks and Sterek Singley to lock down a receiver in a vacuum. I, I trust those edge rushers to get home a good amount. What I don't trust right now is the linebacking core, which I think will matter quite a bit against Auburn. That has been the biggest mess so far. I don't trust the safeties right now. Jacoby Stevens, a very experienced player, just doesn't look comfortable, doesn't look like himself, and just kind of looks, I mean, lost for lack of a better word. And then I don't trust the defensive tackles right now, which is, by the way, a huge surprise because I was writing about how it was their biggest strength this year. So it's tricky that I think you're right that, yes, they could take a page out of that, and I think they should win those battles with a Seth Williams, for example. They could win that, and they should be able to get home on Bo Nix. But if Auburn can run the ball efficiently, which who knows if they will, you would give advantage Auburn in that battle, I think. Yeah, I, it, it's got to be like the 2017 game, which will put a lot of pressure on the defensive backfield because those guys have to cover. If you if you don't remember 2017 Auburn LSU, it was a just a bloodbath <laughs> in favor of Auburn in the first half. Carryon Johnson was completely unstoppable, and LSU put another guy in the box in the second half and shut them down and ended up winning the game. And that's the thing with Bigsby; he's a really good back is going to grow into an even better back. You mentioned the D tackles and the linebackers being a problem. That's a problem when you're playing a tank Bigsby. Yeah. So they've got to be comfortable putting that other guy in the box and feeling like they can cover, though I think they can. Like I don't worry as much about anybody other than Seth Williams, and LSU is one of the teams that has a guy who can cover Seth Williams one-on-one. So you, know, you, can, you can deal with Schwartz, you can deal with Eli Stove, it's Seth Williams who who scares you because anytime he's along the sideline or in the end zone, there's a really good chance he's snatching it away from somebody. So the good thing is LSU has two very good, you know, first line corners that that can take that away, I think. No, I mean, I agree with you on every logical point you're making. I completely do. But I think the thing <laughs> but that Tank makes... But Tank Bigsby may average nine yards yeah. a carry. That's I think the, what, that's I the think issue. <laughs> the problem with LSU is, and it's made it impossible to handicap in any smart way, possible to analyze in any smart way, is that, yes, if you just use your brain, like, yes, LSU should be able to actually win battles in the trenches. They always should. They're LSU. Their talent hasn't changed like it just hasn't you know and and all these if you look at most of these things from a rational point of view they should take control of these things and yet week in week out these mistakes are just kind of mind-boggling where a linebacker just doesn't look like he knows what he's doing so he's just like kind of jogging or getting hit five yards downfield or you know uh, there's uh, there's at least one coverage bust every game where all of a sudden a receiver is just 20 yards open and you're just like how do you get to that point I have a lot of questions and this was supposed to be a simpler defense so Everything you're saying is 1,000% correct, and yet it's just so hard to account for because so many mental issues are happening right now. Yeah, it's crazy, and and this is this is the game where they have to turn that corner because then they have an open week yeah, and then God. they play Alabama. So they they've got to get it figured out if they're gonna if they're gonna figure it out. But here's the thing, Brody, and and you mentioned the the show you and T Bob Abear. T Bob's a, a former LSU center, 
host a, a radio show in Baton Rouge, but you have a podcast together called Hold That Podcast Podcast, and uh, it's on the Athletic Network, which you can listen to commercial free if you subscribe to the Athletic. And by the way, $1 a month for your first six months if you subscribe right now. So go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples, and you, you can subscribe buck a month. It's a great way to start. You can listen to this show commercial free. You can read all of those uh, you know, amazing stories that Brody writes about LSU. You can read me on Michael Penix Jr. at Indiana. Uh, you can read about the, the situation at Wisconsin. There's a whole lot going on right now, and, and we've got it all covered. But so you and T-Bob were talking about a lot of years, you don't really know until after teams played three, four games what that team is. This is obviously a very different season because – LSU's played four games. This is the halfway point of the season. So if they're turning a corner now, great, but that that means it's it's all downhill from there. So this is the time you got to do it. Absolutely. And also you're saying you, we should know what they are. Well, I don't still because, you know, we're talking about the offense, for example. One week they look like a, a power running, you know, really efficient team. And the next day they look like a spread it out, air it out offense, which – by the way, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a good thing to be able to do both, but I still don't know what this team is. But to get to your point, yes, this is the the, turn, the corner you have to turn, right? The biggest win out of Saturday wasn't that Finley looked great. It wasn't that the you know running game looked good. Not that they won. It's the fact they didn't look that much better to me. It's just the idea that they took care of business, right? It's it's because that's something they just inherently haven't been able to do so far. You cannot lose to Mississippi State. You cannot lose to Missouri. So just being able to at least take care of business and beat a South Carolina by 28 points, that's the victory at the end of the day. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think that's a win. I think obviously they've had, you know, kind of like a very warm-up-y kind of start to the season in terms of not having a real challenger yet in terms of like top 25 teams. So it's been a long stretch where they should have been figuring themselves out. And I think we'll learn the answer this weekend, which I think is the point you're getting to. We will figure out Saturday who they are. And I think if they don't show up, we have our answer. Well, and the other thing is we're kind of figuring out what Auburn is because it feels like their offense has taken a little bit of a step forward in the past week. It, you know, listen, the refs bailed them out against Ole Miss, just like the refs bailed them out against Arkansas. They're probably very lucky to to be two and two right now. So, or two and three, excuse me. Uh, but they are they are where they are. And so I don't know what happens with them going forward, but they can take a big step forward against LSU. And that's that's another big thing because this doesn't feel like 2016 Auburn LSU, which was a loser leaves town match. Essentially, <laughs> whichever coach lost that game was probably going to get fired, and Les Miles lost the game and got fired. This is not that, but LSU can feel like a different team going into Alabama if they win, and everyone will want to jump off a cliff if they lose. Auburn can feel like it is making satisfactory progress en route to its ultimate showdown with Alabama. If they win this game and if they lose this game, especially if, if the offense regresses, who boy, the, the, the Gus buyout figure is going to get thrown around <laughs> a lot over the next week after that. No, I think it's a really smart way to kind of view this game. But I guess my question I'd pose to you is, and it's me genuinely asking is, okay, I, I, I think for LSU, it's if you lose this game, it's the official punt on the year point, right? It's the official like this year. Yes. This is a, it's just That's, not it. But but no one's like really putting it. Go Young. There's no, yeah, there's no heat under Ed Ogeron in any real tangible no, way. But 
my question is with Gus Malzahn, if they lose this game and they, like you said, maybe take a step back, what, I mean, I'm not saying he's getting like a hot seat, but what, what's the reaction there from Auburn? I think the fan base may bail on him, which wouldn't be the first okay. time that's happened. So, that, I mean, because <laughs> a, a lot of them were already, thing, yeah. yeah, a lot of them were already out on them, any on him anyway. And, you know, there, there were just, it, it does feel like that's something that happens quite a bit, but it, it feels like this year, especially, you know, after the, after the South Carolina game was especially bad. And I, I think I got their record. I, I think I said two and three. I meant three and two. Auburn is three and two right now. Arkansas and Ole Miss probably could have been losses. They could be one and four. But if you're sitting at four and two with a win against LSU and you're about to play Mississippi State, Tennessee, Alabama, and A&M, you know what? You could have a fairly good year after yeah. that. I mean, you, you might lose to Alabama, but you, can, you, could be, you could beat A&M. And you should beat Mississippi State and Tennessee. So, 100%. I mean, that's the thing. Like, both of these teams, after a start that was not what they wanted, could wind up having what they consider to be a successful season, but it doesn't happen without winning this game. And I think that's what makes this game so intriguing. No, I, I love that. That's actually, yeah, because, wow, imagine how differently we'll view this Auburn team if they're actually 6-2 and two going into Alabama. All the, like, I, It's just a genuinely different way of viewing it than we would right now. So I, I'm completely with you. I have nothing to add. It's, it, it it's going to be interesting. And, and I don't know why this game always seems to end up like this. Last year it didn't just because <laughs> LSU was so good. But almost yeah. every year it feels like it's, it's such a crucial turning point. And it doesn't seem to matter where it falls in the season because it it moves around depending on who who's yeah. the home team. And obviously this year's a different story entirely. But yeah, it's it, it is it is amazing to me how much mental freight this game <laughs> seems to carry. And it's on Halloween most years. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. Well, usually you have Florida Georgia on Halloween, which has its own kind of metaphysical weight. True, but they, that one's on November seventh this year because of the because of the move. So. Uh, it, it's going to be fascinating, Brody. Can't wait to watch. Meanwhile, your Hoosiers, they got these suddenly surging Rutgers Scarlet Knights. You nervous? <laughs> Which is also my home state, so a real Brody day, yeah. <laughs> you ner- are you going gonna to have some pork roll and, uh, and watch the game? <laughs> wow, as you get makes ready me really happy you called Auburn? the pork roll. It's the right way to call it. Good work. Yeah, I will- Actually, there is I, I a Philly deli Jersey in New people. Orleans. There's like a Philadelphia like guy deli that has – they call it Taylor Ham, though – which is a bit of a bummer, but they have it. So I could really commit to it. What if I did, wait, hear me out. This is up your alley, a pork roll and pork tenderloin, like combined double decker sandwich. So it's the ultimate Brody meal. Yeah. Although you should do this. Okay. I'm all ears. Take your, your, the place of your birth and your current home and have a pork roll po' boy. Can you do a pork roll po' boy? Is that a thing? No, why not? I think that's the beauty of a po' boys. There are no rules. Yeah, I think that's our move. I think that is it. A pork tenderloin, French bread, and pork roll. (laughs) Wow, I love it. No, I'm sold. I think we're gonna make this happen. Steins Deli. I can't say it five times fast. Pork roll po' boy, but I could eat it. I'm, I'm, we're, I'm. This is a shout out to Steins Deli. I'm gonna call them this weekend and see can we make this happen because I bet they would. Highly recommend Steins Deli, by the way. Brody Miller. Thank you so much for joining us. Cannot wait because you're going to have a lot to write about this weekend. Thanks for having me, Andy. It was a lot of fun.